to the lost souls, the disintegrated spirits, the wanderers, the dreamers, and the seekers. Welcome to the Embodied Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle McGinnis. Our work in this podcast will be to foster healing, transformation, self-expression, creativity, and the development of consciousness. So with our intentions grounded firmly, let's settle in and do some integration work. Hey friends, happy Sunday and welcome back to another episode of the Embodied Podcast. If you guys are loving what you're hearing on the show, I would really appreciate it if you slid over to iTunes, dropped a five-star rating or a written review and just let me know what you are loving about the show and what you want to hear more of. Those ratings and reviews help get the show organically into more ears and more souls across the world. So if you've already done that, thank you so much. So way back when I started this podcast, like way back in season one, like episode, I don't know, like 30 something, I don't know. I did a podcast with Rick about marriage and our thoughts on marriage and it was right after that we got engaged and I just chuckled to myself <laughs> laughing about our our naivety at the time. Um, but it's really interesting because in the past few weeks, we've actually, after a two-year engagement, started to have conversations about securing a wedding venue and starting wedding planning. And while that's very exciting on one end, um, I think what I want this this podcast to to share with you guys is that this process of engagement was very, very tough for me personally. And there the tough part initially was that I felt so guilty that I wasn't necessarily head over heels excited to get married and with that comes a very complex conversation about many things you know given my background my parents were divorced I grew up I grew up in a divorced family and so my ideas and beliefs around marriage were very skewed and um, affected by past traumas and past perspectives of relationships the relationship that I was in before Rick was with an emotionally abusive I would say narcissist but so there was a lot of trauma that I had to work through with that and in general I was really coming to a place where maybe for the first time in my life I felt like I was starting to get a solid sense of self of who I was and what I liked and what my gifts to the world are and how I want to serve and how I want to be and what I actually feel like a number of things that are are very unique to the individual and it sounds silly saying that like you can go through 25 years of your life not knowing any of those things but I've actually met in my practice most people have no idea who they are what they want how they can best serve in their genius like what is their true soul's calling their vocation 
And so as soon as I was starting to, I guess, maybe take on the path of deepening into those aspects of myself, that's when I got engaged to Rick. And so as soon as he asked me to marry him, there was this, um, it felt like a drop. It felt like a pool down into the underworld, I guess you could say. Um, but something in me felt like it was dying, um, because it was, um, or needed to die because it would. (laughs) There was a very young part of me that operated in relationships from a very young and immature place. And I knew that with the commitment of deepening into the relationship with Rick that not only did he deserve to be with somebody that was not operating out of childhood psychology but I also didn't deserve to to be in a relationship from that that space either and so I knew that it would require a lot of deaths along the way and In Robert Johnson's book called She, which Rick and I did a book club on, there is a section in, it is the chapter called Eros, um, where he's talking about throughout the book, the myth of Psyche and Eros, but, um, and you can read that myth to, to further unpack this and get this book and actually read all of the context around it. In that myth... Eros is the son of Aphrodite, and Aphrodite has challenged Psyche, who is a mortal, so Psyche translates to soul. She is a mortal. Psyche has been, um, has been sentenced to, to wed death on, on top of a mountain, and this section of the chapter unpacks the wedding of death. Uh, that's what Robert Johnson calls it. So he says that Eros goes to do his mother mother's bidding, Aphrodite's bidding. But just as he glimpses Psyche, he accidentally pricks his finger on one of his own arrows and falls in love with her. So Eros sometimes is imaged as Cupid. Um, I think that's a little bit not a great representation of of Eros, but because Eros stands for love love as a state of being so love itself glimpses soul and pricks his finger on an arrow and falls in love with soul he decides instantly to take soul psyche as his own bride and asks his friend the west wind to lift her very gently down from the top of this mountain into the valley of paradise the west wind does this And Psyche, who is expecting a marriage to death, finds herself in a heaven on earth instead. She does not ask Eros any questions, but luxuriates in her unexpected good fortune. Eros comes to Psyche, and even beautiful as he is, he is death to her. All husbands are death to their wives, and in that they destroy them as maidens and force them into an evolution towards mature womanhood. 
It is paradoxical, but you can feel both gratitude and resentment towards the person who forces you to begin down your own path towards growth. The oracle was right. A man is death to a woman in an archetypal sense. When a man sees an anguished look on his partner's face, this is the time to be gentle and cautious. It may be that she is just waking up to the fact that she is dying a little as maiden. He can make it easier for her at this moment if he will be gentle and understanding. A man rarely understands that marriage is death and resurrection both for a woman since he has no exact parallel in his own life. Marriage is not a sacrificial matter to a man, but there is much of that element in a woman's experience. She may look at her husband in horror one day because she realizes she is bound in her marriage as he is not. She is even more profoundly bound if there are children. She may resent this, but not to be caught in this way by life is an even worse death. There are women of 50 who have never been to Death Mountain, though they may be grandmothers. I knew a girl of 16 who had a baby. She went off to have it privately and quietly and gave the baby away in adoption so that she never saw it. She came back and nothing happened to her. She had not learned anything from Death Mountain. Several years later, she married, and if anybody could be called virginal, she had that quality. Psychologically, she had not been touched, even though she had been through the experience of childbirth. The eros in each woman terminates her naivety and childlike innocence at vastly different times in life, and it is not just when she marries. Many girls are through it very early in life, which is a cruel experience, and others never experience it at all. But marriage is a very different experience for a man than a woman. The man is adding to his stature, his world is getting stronger, and he has risen in stature and position. He generally does not understand that he is killing the psyche in his new wife and that he must do this. And if she behaves strangely or if something goes dreadfully wrong or there are many tears, he usually doesn't understand that marriage is a totally different experience for her than for him. A woman takes on a new stature in her marriage, but that is not until she has been through the Death Mountain experience. And so I want you to see through the kind of traditional roles of husband and wife and the heteronormative type of relationship that he's speaking of here because gender roles and marriage has changed so much since this this book was written. But I think that he was making a point here that any type of commitment that requires a sacrifice of naivety and innocence is going to be a death mountain experience for a person going through an initiation of any kind. And so that that can happen for the feminine in a man as well as the feminine in a woman. And that can happen for, for anybody. Coming down from death mountain, I think in that book is a, a failure to stay with the death-like experience that comes up in in large initiatory experiences such as engagement, as marriage. I say this because when I got engaged to Rick, it was not the, I didn't feel like I actually got swept down into the paradise of Eros. It wasn't this fairy tale type of experience. I actually 
walked around for about a week feeling like I was carrying like a 200 pound barbell on my back and I felt the weightiness and the gravity of the commitment that I said yes to making and I felt like I needed a lot of time and space to unpack and be with the gravitas of that of that decision not only for did I deserve that but Rick deserved that too and you can't rush death and underworld experiences they need time to alchemize they need time to settle and the worst part of that was other people's responses to the way that I was handling that handling that experience luckily Rick was so incredibly supportive of all of the emotions and all of the um, thoughts and, and, and fears that came up during that time that says a lot about him as a man and as a human being to be able to be with the discomfort that I was experiencing and not take it personally, not make it mean something about him, but really allow time and space for me to process what was an experience of, of, of Death Mountain and so I really wanted to share this podcast as I like start this wedding planning process to let anybody out there know that there's no right or wrong way to experience an up-leveling or, or a increase in commitment in a relationship. And how you process that is going to come with its own complexities. And it's going to come with a lifetime of stories and a lifetime of sensations and experiences that have probably lived in the unconscious for the most part that are going to come up when something is asking for a deeper level of commitment. And so again, this is just to call out the fantasy that relationships are always joyous and exuberant and filled with excitement and and while I had a little bit of excitement most of the space in my psyche in particular was taken up by a death-like experience of being terrified of what was going to happen to that maiden that lived within me And I am very thankful that I had the support psychologically, mentally, emotionally to process that because I feel like having a longer engagement for Rick and I in particular has been so fruitful because I actually feel like I have a better idea of who I am committing to at this point. And when we got engaged initially, I think there was still immense projections on him and so I didn't say yes to to marrying Rick Alexander I was saying yes to the image of who I thought Rick Alexander was and so not to say that we'll ever probably fully pull back all the projections but I feel like given the time and space that we've had we've done a lot of really difficult work on ourselves and with each other to have a better idea of of who it is behind that projection that we're getting into this lifetime commitment with and so 
again, this is really just to open up a conversation about the way that you do relationships, the way that you react to relationships, the way that you react to commitments and, and things like that. There's no right or wrong way to do that, but there is an opportunity to, to deepen in and, and gain a, a wider understanding of what's happening, what's happening internally and not just float along with what you should be feeling based on the external reactions of everybody around you and the expectations and the shoulds, but really have the courage to go inwards and say, this is terrifying. And everybody around me thinks I should be excited and happy and joyous. And while a small part of me is, a larger part of me is terrified of of this because who I will become if I actually commit to this relationship in the way that I know that it deserves that requires a death (laughs) and so anytime we go through that it's it's a defeat for habitual consciousness it's a defeat for the ego I hope this this resonates for some people out there who have experienced something like this and have never heard anybody publicly talk about it but with that being said we will talk on thursday bye guys